nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. We're starting with uh, a tweet we had seen the other week. Um, Actually, it was on April 23rd, because I have it in front of me. And it was Kevin Sorbo, he of Hercules fame, uh, among, tweeted among what other he things thought. these days. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, where that's where we're getting there. Uh, what tweeted, he thought, obviously thought he was being extraordinarily clever. And what he tweeted said, this was when CNN Plus, the um, offshoot of the subscription service for CNN, just uh, announced that they were closing. They had just started and they're closing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Seconds after opening, they announced that they really, were closing. Really, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, so Kevin Sorbo tweeted very cleverly, if CNN Plus had pronouns, they'd be was slash were. Ah. I think we can all agree there's an issue here. Aside from the the, 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 the thought, <laughs> there's, a, there's a problem. Yes. Yes, there is. Those <laughs> are not pronouns. <laughs> These are right. very good. So basically, Twitter went crazy, as you can imagine. I mean, somebody said, it's a noun, so is idiot. Um, who thinks Kevin Sorbo had to Google the word pronouns before he tweeted this? Many things like that. I mean, the bottom line is he got he got he got roasted liberally, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, for his his thing, and that got Ross and me talking. And we started thinking about it, and you know, th- this is a recurring sort of conversation that we've all been having, and obviously our podcast is about it. But the question really is: Is grammar dead, and should we keep it alive? And our basic I mean, we're going to go on and on about this. And our basic idea is, yes, of course we should, but not necessarily in the grammar police way. And I I think I'm going to start out with one thing really obvious. And um, I just said, is grammar dead? If I had started the conversation as dead, grammar is, we'd have a real problem. I'm not saying it in normal English syntactical order. In other words, I think we all can agree, all of us, both just quote descriptivists who say that almost anything goes and prescriptivists that we need some grammar. Otherwise we're not going to have any idea what we're saying. Although grammar dead is sounds like Yoda, which I think most of us would have understood. I'm sorry. Okay. Here's another. Okay. (laughs) Then how about this famous example uh, with punctuation involving punctuation? Let's eat comma grandma or let's eat grandma. They mean completely different (laughs) things. One means we're going to barbecue grandma tonight. That's where English can be pretty vital in grammar. So the issue is, okay, so the issue is two-pronged. Is obviously we're saying grammar matters. I mean, and you're seeing your Kevin Sorbos who apparently don't understand what a pronoun is. And let's be honest, I mean, we know he was trying to be snarky. It's the whole issue of pronouns, which is not what we're addressing this time. But the issue of how, did he indeed not know what a pronoun is? So then you go from there, from the most basic level, right, to the more... I'm going to cut in here, Kath, because I think we're basically talking about we can all agree that about 99% of the grammar that we use is fairly essential, which includes basic English word order, which includes basic vocabulary, where we basically kind of know that, I mean, we don't have to know the term pronoun, but we, we know that um, I, we, we replace with, you know, with how to use I instead of, I don't say Ross want to go to the store. I say, I want to go to the store. So we know mm-hmm. automatically that we have to, we probably use a pronoun there. We do know, I think, 90% or 99% we can agree on. We're talking Mm. basically now about the niceties of grammar, I think. Don't you guys agree or not? Yeah, and I think that 99% is basically unavoidable as well. It's something that's hardwired into us as we learn the language. It's not something that we, of course, think about each time we say something. It's just the way it's structured in our brains and how that formed as we learn the language. And so it's it's not something that we could change even if we wanted to, really. 
Well, it's true. I mean, in the past, it's interesting. We've talked about, I remember um, we had done one uh, podcast about, remember about uh, the order of adjectives? Yes. And the fact that there is, without our even being aware of it, there, there, there is rules. There, there is rules. <laughs> I can't violate I mean? the rules. <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> but, but no, in truth, and, and we're not even aware of it. Like we, as you just said, Fletcher, we're hardwired without trying. We're, 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 we're doing these but then now i'm going to take the other tech uh, by the same token i think that a lot of people confuse grammatical correctness with the grammar police sort of thing when they just like point to like like there are errors especially you see them online i mean i i commit them a lot on social media i'm typing quickly i'm not really thinking i have indeed done a there t-h-e-i-r when i meant a e-y apostrophe r-e but i think people who know me realize it's just me being quick and my thumb slipped or whatever but I do think that we, we go the opposite way, too, too much. I do think that you, we can fall into the grammar is important. We should keep it alive. But, but there's also the danger of being a pedant, right? Completely. And I think and then there we go back to our mother was an artist. And um, I always liked her advice on art, which I, I couldn't follow because I, I'm terrible at art, but um, drawing, etc. But she always said that it, it's important for artists to know the rules and they can break them. And I, and I think that we're kind of, I'm, this is sort of a bad segue. I'm, I'm not, I'm a terrible segue person too, but I, I think what we're trying to, or a terrible, terrible segueer, probably using a rule here. <laughs> but I think it's important, Kath and I were talking about this. We both feel it's important to know something about the language uh, that, uh, that we speak. And I think Fletcher was right that most of these rules we've kind of absorbed by osmosis. But it might be good and it might be helpful for all of us to have a basic idea of how the language works. And that does involve a little bit of grammar. And like in Kevin Sorbo's case, maybe knowing what a pronoun is. And it's helpful because then if the rule is broken, we can know if the rule was broken correctly or not or uh, clearly or not. Mm -hmm. And do you all agree with that? or or You can usually tell the difference between someone who doesn't know what they're doing and someone who very much knows what they're doing but is breaking the rules to uh, make a stylistic point or some other kind of point. You know, you, you, you can tell that difference. And you can also tell the difference between someone who really doesn't know how to write and James Joyce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you, you read, you know, you read James well, maybe you've got more to say, but you read James Joyce as much as you can. And, and, and I mean, you know, he's doing something there. You know, he's not just speaking gibberish to speak gibberish. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess we're getting back to the point that. So I think we all can agree here. We do need to know something about grammar. There was an interesting article Kathy and I were reading. Uh, from, it came. Uh, it was from a Grammar Still Matters. It was by a Dutch linguist talking about English. And he was talking about how the British school system basically, after 1960, and we've talked about this, they used to teach grammar basically uh, following a kind of old-fashioned Latin uh, straitjacket with Latin categories that they tried to like shove into English. By the 1920s, this was highly, highly criticized, and that was gotten rid of. And then basically we were left on our own and no one was really taught grammar in England. And Kathy and I both had the same experience in the States. We really weren't taught grammar. I don't know if you were Fletcher or not. Well, here's uh, maybe this is the answer. I don't really know what you mean when you say taught grammar. Mm -hmm. Okay. This, this author, for example, says that um, students don't, don't know what determiners are. They don't know adverbials. No, I don't, they don't, I don't know. know uh, they don't know modal verbs. They don't know, and these are all things that are basic to, I mean, they're a little bit, they sound sort of dull. They're a little bit, uh, they sound boring, but I mean, they're, they're a determiner, for example, or words that modify nouns or noun equivalents, like uh, this book, this car, a car, the car, they all, those are like the little jobbers in front of the noun that tell you what kind of, you know, what you're doing with the noun. Kevin Sorbo didn't know what a pronoun is. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't know what a, a, a gerund is or a participle is. I don't think we necessarily need to know precisely the word, but we should know a little bit, I think, about how words work in our own language. And I, I, I and I think that would come from uh, we. 
we never did it, but the old-fashioned diagramming, knowing what a noun is, a subject is, a verb is. When I when I look at language books nowadays for foreign languages, they're filled with the first several pages usually are giving you a quick overview of how grammar works in English, just so you can learn the foreign language. Well, I think that you just brought up an interesting thing in terms of learning a foreign language, because I, I think many of us actually learned more about English grammar when we studied a foreign language because and not because in the book it'll say here's what this is in English but because you had to learn it in the foreign language I remember back um, in high school when I was taking Spanish it was the first time I ever heard the word gerund and I was in high school and I learned about it because I was taking a Spanish class you know, I mean, because they do teach, because you don't know it, because you didn't grow up with the language, I think that there is the necessity of like, here are the terms so we can address, so we all know what we're talking about when we start learning this language, right? Yeah. But how much of that that we're talking about right now falls into that 99% earlier that we mentioned that you just kind of know intuitively be- mm-hmm. because you grew up with the language? Th- I agree. That's what I think. You do know it intuitively, but you can also misinterpret intuition as well. For example, Kathy and I frequently have talked about and see could of, uh, Mm C-O-U-L-D, of, of, F, rather than could have. I mean, we all, we also may, I, for years, I was saying for all intensive purposes, which meant nothing, but I was, you know, saying it as a kid because I didn't know it was intense and purposes. That's a very minor point, but I think the could of is, is is a more important one. Could of doesn't really mean anything. We could argue that it's changing and and it does now mean something. We kind of know what it means. But there are a lot of little niggly things that I think don't really work very well if we don't know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think a feel for language, I think, is important. I think with the uh, current debate over gender neutral pronouns, they, most people arguing against it, don't realize that English used to have, you know, we've talked about this thee and thou and you and you and uh, thee and thou was the uh, singular that we no longer use and we've effortlessly i effortlessly go into use for singular and plural Mm -hmm. so it probably wouldn't be that difficult after a couple of months to go into the they they are for singular and they are for plural and i think that comes maybe i'm being a little bit too heated on this but i think it does come from having like a little bit of a basic knowledge of how our language works but then the question arises, okay, on one hand, you're, I agree with you, Ross, and, and Fletcher, I agree with you that, like we said, most of it we just instinctively know because we, we speak. So then you go into that thing. I mean, as you well know, I am like so anti-grammar police. I belong to a couple of groups, one of which is, is I find just really irritating because it's constantly, look at this mistake, look at this ambiguous headline, look at this, this is so blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's going to happen. And I agree, Ross, okay, things like could of. I mean, we know that that stems obviously from hearing could of and, and it's being spelled instead of the apostrophe V-E, it's people assuming it's spelled O-F, right? That's bad. But, but where do you draw the line? This is where I always have the problem. How do you, how do you on one hand say grammar is important and, and we should not let it die? And on the other hand say, however, calm down and it's okay if you make a few mistakes as long as you're understood. Like, where, where is the line? This is what I'm always constantly going back and forth on. <laughs> this is the, the deep soul search of this entire podcast, I think. Yeah. Because we're, this, this is kind of what we're discussing a lot of the time, because we do all care about and respect the language, but we're also pretty generous uh, about what we're willing to let change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think that's I think that's really reasonable. Unfortunately, with that, is it tends not to be controversial, but uh, and therefore it doesn't maybe you know doesn't scream across the headlines. But I think a modified, limited approach to grammar is important. I think we we basically don't scream if someone says uh, less than five people were in the room. I, I, that doesn't that grates on my nerves, but I don't think it's 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 wrong, and I wouldn't I wouldn't. I wouldn't really even correct it at this point. I think the use of the subjunctive um, is almost dead in English, except for weird fossilized constructions. I use it, but I don't think it's necessary to use. But then I think like dangling modifiers, I mean, which I'm frequently guilty of, I frequently try to correct them. You know, surfing on the ocean, uh, the waves were really big. That's incorrect. And it doesn't really, it's not clear. That's a dangling modifier because surfing, obviously modifies 
me doing it. So mm-hmm. I shouldn't say the waves. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the waves are surfing or, you know, so I mean, I suspect you're not surfing either, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I agree. With you. But then the problem I have is the minute I, I, I'm just speaking for myself. Now, the minute I start talking about, I think grammar matters, I get people saying, Oh, thank God. I, I had read recently there was that guy who um, made it his goal to remove comprised of from Wikipedia. Oh, gosh. Remember that? I think, and I had seen it was something like 50,000 times he went through and removed comprised of to make it just comprised. (laughs) That's just like a little wacky. I'm sorry. It's like. (laughs) And and he was doing the search on Google and he was actually literally changing uh speeches or things made you know copyrighted material which is really bad i don't want you know i mean well maybe you know maybe people are happy gee i i really should have said that i'm now happy (laughs) (laughs) but that that that's silly but i uh, i do think though that we need to uh, the problems we're both we're all the three of us are in between i i think we can all I think we need to have clear ideas of what, where we're going. And I think that means language is important. And therefore some idea of grammar is important. And I think it's Kathy, you had that thing about beauty of the language. That was a good quote. Remember that? Oh, let me look for it. I had, I have it somewhere on my computer. Is that where it was like Anthony Burgess who I adore. Was that that one? Yeah. Oh, this is maybe a different one. This is Anthony Burgess. I just thought this was wonderful quote about grammar. And this is again, this goes back to Ross, what you were saying. It's like you have to know the rules to be able to break them well. He's, he wrote, there is a satisfactory boniness about grammar, which the flesh of sheer vocabulary requires before it can become a vertebrate and walk the earth. Mm-hmm. I just think that is magnificent. Mm-hmm. It make I really do. I think, it, and to me, that sums up my feeling. It's like you have the bones of the grammar, and from there, you can you can like do whatever the hell you want because you have that at least. It's otherwise you don't have a vehicle to like. That's a, a really good point. That's the real. Again, we go back to like clear communication, but beautiful communication is almost even more important. I mean, we still respect beauty in language, and it. Mm-hmm. And there was an interesting book that just came out um, talking about how mathematics is wonderful, how uh, language is wonderful for uh, lawyers, but terrible for scientists. For the, ex- the pure exactitude, you're going to want mathematics, not uh, language, because language is still slightly imprecise, however tried, however much we try to make it precise. Language is probably is much better used for persuasion. And that's, again, where persuasion and also appreciation of beauty, and that's where Grammar really helps you get your point across and get your point across uh, mellifluously and beautifully. That's interesting because I was just thinking that that's why I still like poetry. And I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot that passes as poetry now that I would argue is not, but I won't go on to that. Um, Again, there's a place, as you said, Russ, the beauty of language. And I think that the three of us, and I would argue that probably many other people who listen to this, I, I would assume based on the emails we've gotten, I would say, 99.9999% 99.9999% have that same thing where it's part of the part of the my love of finding the the mistakes is because I love the language there's a pleasure then in in a precise sentence in a beautifully put sentence right yeah without dangling modifiers without misuse uh, years ago my wife said she, it really horrifies her now because she was a TA grading papers that were uh, creative writing papers and she said she was an insufferable prig when she did so because she said some of the best stories were so poorly written in terms of grammar that she would give them lower grades, which in a way was correct, she said. But then she feels like now, in retrospect, she feels she stifled some people who were truly creative. So maybe another sense of grammar is to ar- armor ourselves against insufferable prigs so we get her point across. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm on that one. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Ross. I was stunned. I got curious and I looked up in the OED, in the Oxford English Dictionary, the definition of grammar. And um, I didn't realize this. They were saying in their little, the notes, they said, until, until a not very distant date, Grammar was divided by English writers following the precedent of Latin grammarians into orthography, etymology, syntax, and prosody, prosody? I I should know how to pronounce it, to which orthoepy was added by some authors. 
And now they say it's morphology, syntax, and phonology. Which is which is a little which is a little easier to understand. Well, I think the one problem we're all having is we're all basically in, in we're not at all in disagreement. We're basically saying that lang- that grammar is important for clarity, important for avoiding ambiguity, important for actually the, I should add one more that I was just thinking of communication with people who don't speak English very well. And I've seen mm. this with um, various language languages which I've bangled abroad. If the person is speaking in a very colloquial sense, a lot of times I have a great deal of difficulty understanding them mm-hmm. until they speak grammatically oh, yeah. correctly. Because, you know, I mean, they'll slur, they'll they'll have shortcuts, they'll have mistakes. Well, and I think, again, I mean, you're talking about world peace, etc. It's good to basically also be able to speak English when we can't speak their language, speaking English in a way that they can understand more easily. Okay. Th- because this... for the life of me, I can't understand a lot of really colloquial, colloquial French. So, you know, or Arabic. Well, Arabic actually I'm better at, but whatever. Let, let Fletcher talk now. Well, Sorry. <laughs> that, that kind of leads into a question I've had this whole time, which is, okay, you know, now that we are finally um, recognizing more voices in our dialogue, in our in the public sphere, where we're not just having middle and upper class white people talking, I'm mm-hmm. curious how different, I guess, dialects, it's not dialects, what, what do you call um, different styles of English? I, I'm curious about how that plays into this, because there's not, as we've often said, there's not an academy that tells us exactly how English should be. And so... African-American English can be quite different in some regards to white English. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, just to, you know, strip it down to uh, crude terms. And, and so I'm curious how that plays into your feelings about this, because we're talking about knowing, knowing basics of grammar, but it's not always exactly the same depending on who's, speaking English. I think that's a really interesting point. Because right now what we're really talking about is standard American English on the whole. Kind of like you've got, you know, standard English as in these are the rules we had been taught and that have been there. But you're absolutely right. There are differences. I mean, and and to be honest with you, African American English, which is also called Black English, um, it is a, it, there can be different aspects to it, yet we will be corrected often, and I'm using corrected in quotation marks, to standard American English. Right, and right? The, the thing is, we regard that often as, as wrong. As you just said, Kathy, it'll be corrected, quote-unquote, into standard American English, and and I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to be doing. I sort of It's sort of interesting, though. I was just reading, oddly enough, the other day, a linguist uh, studying African-American vernacular. Uh, and um, there's a definite grammar to it. And it's it's a fairly, as as in our grammar, as in standard English grammar, it's fairly, uh, you know, not, not rigid. In this, I mean, it's rigid right now. It's going to, of course, change as well. But it has fairly defined rules. And there are different ways that we would view as all as, as incorrect. But in African-American English, it's correct. Right, sure. So we're basically talking with, what David Crystal says are different registers of language. There are di- in English. There are different ways of speaking correct English. There's African American English. There's India uh, subcontinent English, which we talked about with um, various words like prepone, etc. Mm-hmm. And those are different. There are different forms of English. Maybe we could call them dialects. Maybe we could call them registers and different sort of structures within a society. And they all have certain rules that all of those speakers or most of those speakers tend to follow. So I'm saying we can correct people if they're trying to speak standard American English, and they can correct us if we're trying to speak their form of English. Right, but and at what both point cases, but at what point do we do we stop making this standard American English the the default? That's a good question. I was just thinking that as you both were speaking, because that was obviously the thing that cropped up in my mind as well. Because the the problem is, it's, it's for years it has been. I'm assuming though that with with time, it's we go back to the old thing of evolution, and 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 with more time and more exposure, I would argue, uh, to a different of a different vernacular, or whatever. I would assume we start broadening 
what is considered standard English, right? I mean, I would just assume already, I mean, we've talked about slang before and how words change, you know, broadening and specializing and, you know, pejoration and, and so forth in English in general. And I would argue that grammatical rules, the more exposure one has to them, the more one understands the different thing and it sort of blends, don't you think? I would see a blending happening. I'm actually seeing the opposite. In Arabic, for example, there's something called fusha, which is modern standard Arabic. Mm -hmm. And then there are like dialects, like Egyptian Arabic, which is quite different in many of the common terms used and structure and form than, than the, the standard. And people of uh, various classes easily uh, migrate between the two. And mm -hmm. I would argue that with African-American vernacular, for example, or uh, Indian English, for example, there might be... In effect, to, saying what Kathy says with a modified change to that, there might be strong, very strong dialects or local regional Englishes, and there might be basically one that does blend some of these aspects in, but that's a general English that we all know, that we know is different from our home English. That might be the case as well. Wasn't that what already happened? I mean, that, that's sort of the case, though, of everything. I mean, you've got Southern English is not the same as Northern English. I mean, you know, I'm not even just talking pronunciation. Like that time we talked about the different words, like, uh, uh, what was it, shopping carts, a buggy somewhere or something mm -hmm. else. And you kind of grok it. I mean, you kind of get, okay, they're talking about shopping cart, even though I don't call it that. I would just mm -hmm. argue, though, that part of the part of the issue with the, quote, correction of African-American uh, English structure is because white standard English is what was what's been taught widely and that just over time I mean like rap songs I mean think about I still remember vividly years ago when rap first started I was in a Union Square Park in New York and there was like these extremely white suburban girls singing rap music and it was it was kind of cute because I mean it just didn't fit in my head what they looked like and what they were saying but you're getting that now I mean especially with with younger people because because um, the entertainment world is much less colorblind than, than grammar, you know, American English at large, don't you think? So I'm, I would argue that you're seeing already a blurring and that this will just continue. I think, Kathy, what you said right when I asked the question is, is probably the right answer, which is time. Yeah. Over time, this, this blurring, maybe this more accepting way of being will that'll make the language change and, and mm -hmm. as, as you as you said standard american english white english it has been is what has been taught but maybe now that we're um finally recognizing more voices you know out there and and hearing more voices then over time that that will change you know i i learned not terribly long ago about the habitual b can we talk about that for a second do you know this oh sure yeah uh, and and I love this, and, and I'm hoping this um, story is not made up. I, I hope this really was a study done. Um, but so uh, there was a picture shown to to white children and and black children of Elmo eating cookies, right? While Cookie Monster was watching Elmo eating cookies, and they asked the kids who be eating cookies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now the white kids said it was Elmo because he was in in the actual process right then of eating cookies. The black kids in the study said it was Cookie Monster, because Cookie Monster is the one who is usually eating cookies. He is known to eat cookies. He eats cookies in the habitual sense. Mm -hmm. So so when uh, you know a lot of white people hear somebody say, who be eating cookies, they think that that's an incorrect grammar. Oh, who is grammar. eating cookies? They think that's an yeah. incorrect right. grammar structure, right? But it's not. They're not asking who is eating cookies right now. They're asking who habitually eats cookies, who be eating cookies. That's I've heard that before, and that's really interesting because it actually improves in terms of clarity the English language. Absolutely. Because it, it, it marks a habitual grammatical aspect, which standard English doesn't have, and this does. So it enables speakers, in this case, to be much more specific, or listeners to be much more specific about what's happening. And that's an example which might might migrate into standard English. I don't know. Okay, I got curious. I just looked it up. I mean, and I don't know. I can't, I can't argue with the veracity of this. And it says that some linguists think that it came from 17th to 19th century English of British settlers, particularly from the southwest of England, 
And then others believe it came from Scots-Irish immigrants, that it was an Ulster-Scots dialect hmm, that, cool. that launched the, the habitual bee. I didn't know this at all. But then other people say, oh, that's like ball, and it didn't at all. <laughs> it's like, it's of course. <laughs> do you remember, Kathy, do you remember we went, years ago as kids, we went to the Bahamas on a vacation? Mm -hmm. And I loved, they, they use, the Caribbean English uses it a lot. And I loved uh, how it sounded. Oh, because you started using it. I remember when we I came kept, home. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. I got really into saying it. I learned how the, the different usages of it. I was fascinated by I forgot by it. that. Yeah, I did And our remember. mother just had a... Fit. She made me finally stop saying it because I was being so. I don't know. I thought it was. I, I really. I always liked that. Uh, that that sort of uh, form. So I guess we could say. I mean, I guess I could certainly concede this because it, it might easily migrate into regular English into into mainstream modern standard. But I do think that we need to basically realize. I still think we need to deter, distinguish between regional Englishes or 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 different or different group Englishes and standard English. And I still think that we're going to basically, I think a la Cathy, we're going to get a migration of certain forms into standard English. But I think we're going to also get a, um, we're going to probably also see the persistence of dialects that are fairly different from, from standard English as well. I think you're right. I mean, I think that, that I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I, I still go back to, though, to me, the, 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 the two things that upset me the most is, A, I don't like sloppiness. I just never have. I like cleaning. I'm a clean freak. I, I you know, all that stuff. So I don't like I don't like sloppiness, but with the same token, I really don't like uh, uh, the whole grammar police attitude of of the got. I don't like the gotcha thing at all. I, I, I don't and either. I, I hate and, and, and and I especially dislike it when it is things like Ross. You remember uh, Flory? I think it was had put up a thing. Oh God, I, I had jotted it down. Oh, she said, um, "I'm embarrassed to admit I'm talking about something that I know nothing about." Yes, I ended the above sentence of the preposition, Kathy, and I know it's wrong. And it's like, it's not wrong. We've talked about this. And and, and mm -hmm. I think that is what I decry more than anything is is that immediate like, oh, God, there are these these like arcane rules that and God forbid you break one of them and you look like an idiot because you don't. And I mean, and then that sort of bleeds over into what we're talking about with the African-American English. I mean, there's a little too much, I think, of, of, of this holier than thou aspect. It's one thing to say we need the underpinnings of grammar a la uh, uh, Anthony Burgess. It's, it's an entirely another thing to use it as a way of, 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 of denigrating, I guess. I don't know. No, I agree. But I think it's also it is also a good thing for all of us, I think to learn a little bit about our language and a little bit about the rules. For example, we just talked about the uh, habitual B. If we're going to talk about it, it's nice to know uh, that it's not inflected in that sense. And what, in, what it's inflection. It's nice to know that um, it sort of, it, it acts uh, against the uh, ING, a participle. I think all of that is nice to know because then we can understand which rules are changing and which rules are, are not. And, then I think we can all speak better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know we're sort of we're sort of just like uh, bloviating a little bit here because it's 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 such a big topic. I, I guess for me, yeah, we sh we have to know the rules. I mean, it's a it's a sign of respect. You don't want to look like a you know an moron yeah, or something. But which rules do we have to know? That's that's I, I where think, I was. But <laughs> I I I'm it. actually going against what I just. I I, I didn't. I, I think it was misunderstood. I didn't say the rules qua rules. What I really meant were just the part of how the language is structured, the the skeleton of the language. Yeah, but I guess I I'm still asking the same question. I mean, like, when do we start teaching the habitual be? You know, when do we start teaching well, aspects of, of black English? I guess, I guess why, how long do we hew to standard American English being the default? I mean, like, why are those, in this changing world, why are those the rules that we need to know, but, but not necessarily these others? Why, why is, why, why are these others the, the different registers and standard American English is is the default. I, I mean, I, that's how it's been. But like, at what mm -hmm. point do we need to start absorbing these other things and teach the habitual B or teach well, other aspects of we black are. English? We, well, we're, we're already absorbing these things. I think we need to speak basically, 
I think we need to do two things. I think we need to know a little bit about parts of speech so people, we don't make Kevin Sorbo mistakes so that we know what a noun is. <laughs> I don't words. think any of us Yeah, I mean, w- words have meaning, you know. <laughs> but a lot of people have no idea of that basic aspect of English. And then from there, I think we do need to be taught basic ideas behind the English that's generally spoken. And then from there, I think we can easily, uh, I see nothing wrong with I, actually, I think, aspects I think it, of African-American English, but we need to, but I think we can, we can learn all of that. I don't think well, that's think, really a problem. I think we need to learn English in school. That's what I'm saying. I think you hit the nail on the head for the very beginning of us when you said parts of speech. I don't even think it's a question of learning like the rules, like, you know, like the rules, like don't end a sentence with a preposition, obviously, because we know that's not really a rule. But I think you're right. If we know this is a verb, this is a noun. I know this sounds like really yeah. ludicrous and, and oversimplified, but, you know, here's what these parts of speech are. And then in the putting them together, I think we can broaden it more. Okay. Like, like yeah. so we don't have the, the st- in effect, we're not always being on the BBC, if you will. You know mm. what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah. I think that's fine. I, I think I think I think maybe at the root we're we're talking about slightly different things. And so that that's. That's just fine. Yeah, knowing those parts of speech makes sense. Ross, I guess the 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 little bit of difficulty that I have is is when you you say something like we need to know the English that is generally spoken. And and to me, I guess I just wonder generally spoken by whom, you know? <laughs> by Ross. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> because because there are a lot of different people speaking English in in slightly different ways and I think that that's a really interesting point because I think that is we've that's that really at the heart of it is the problem with nowadays because you're right who who who's the queen in effect who's to say like that's right that's wrong why why because we're the ones who have control the media do we get to be the ones who say this is this and that is that right and that's what you're saying right yeah basically you? and I'm not trying to attack Ross I just think it's it, it's it's kind of a a maybe an even more zoomed out uh, view, you, you know, I mean, we, we have been, of course, English has been changing uh, all of this time for centuries, but you know, there's been a certain control over it by a certain set of people. And, and that, that idea of how it's generally spoken, I think is maybe, maybe it doesn't take into account how many different kinds of English there are you yes, but I mean? the other side of the coin, though, is I see what you're saying, and I'm and I'm not. Uh, what I'm saying, though, is I do think that we talked about clarity and we talked about communication, and I do think as language changes, we need to teach. Uh, I I find this when I learn foreign languages, we need to speak. Uh, if we're going, if we want to speak clearly to a majority of the individuals, we need to speak what is generally accepted as the, a standard. And from there, we can certainly be open to different registers of language, et cetera. I mean, in linguistics, there's something called accommodation. We all, to some degree, accommodate to the prevailing way people speak. It's not like an appropriation thing. It's basically we speak as others we hear speaking. And I think in that sense, I think, um, for example, in a certain certain case, African-American vernacular is an appropriate uh, dominant language system. In another case, I think we're basically getting, I think, I mean, English, the U.S. will be a minority uh, country, I think, in a, a, you know, in a few years. And those people, they're channeling, you know, English is, is basically getting huge channels of, of language, of, of structure, of grammar, of words that come from different cultures across our, you know, rather diverse land. And I think those are fine. I think that's great. And they're going to all come into basically what probably what Kathy was saying is like a a new standard English. But it's going to be a standard English. It's going to be an English that we hear on TV or we hear at Disney or we hear in movies, we hear in film. And that's going to be basically, I think, if we want to communicate, if we want to sell a book, if we want to write an article for The New York Times, if we want to write an article for anything or anyone, we're going to probably it's probably best to have at least an idea of how that language works. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think it's pejorative or against anything. I think it's basically saying, I mean, to use that old term melting pot, English is a melting pot. English has taken in many languages, Anglo-Saxon, et cetera. And it's going to take in African-American vernacular, which Kathy just said has also apparently taken things in from possibly from the Scottish. 
it's going to everything is melding together and i think we mm-hmm. do need to basically accept there is a basic english that we're what you that kathy we that three of us are speaking that i speak with um i i spoke with a uh, sudanese woman who sells fabulous food and she speaks in english and i speak in english and we communicate clearly mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. although i talked to her in arabic too but whatever forget that part <laughs> thank you ross <laughs> like, thank you for that a little i'm trying to be technical so. <laughs> i think that that's it's a ba- I, I i actually i think that your point is well taken i think that the key is i think i understand you both and I understand Fletcher's concern that we're applying, you know, we're, we're, we're applying the standard that isn't necessarily organic, if you will, to certain people. And we're, but we're saying, okay, that's wrong. This is right. And I understand yours where you're saying that there is a whole pool and there has to be a basic level of communication. I would argue that like, like you said, Fletcher, before things are changing, it, language does change we've seen it i mean ross you were saying before how english has has incorporated so many other languages already i mean we've added italian we've added um uh, spanish i mean we've added so much along the years especially in america because of the um melting pot nation uh, uh, the melting pot thing (laughs) for lack of a better term but and i think that you're right ross i think you have to have there has to be a certain I don't think you have to have I think there is a standard because there is a standard Mm -hmm. there's historically been this and I also think Fletcher you're right that there's nothing wrong with other ways of speaking and what we're calling non-standard is merely because it wasn't as wasn't and I'm using the word wasn't advisedly as widespread and I think given that we are seeing a coming together I just think that we just all have to like relax everybody has to relax on on all sides of the the equation I think that you you have to relax if you are speaking non-standard and people are correcting you I I I think you can get annoyed about it and you can say hey look there's rules for this but I think you can also argue that unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it this was not the standard up until now so you you have maybe we should maybe i think the problem we're having right now is we're calling it standard Mm -hmm. maybe what we should say is this is the is the dialect spoken is like news maybe it's like what they what they say there this is like news dialect this is bbc english and for the better thing other Englishes are certainly they're not they're standard as African-American vernacular is standard right and I mean you can standardize that to some degree you can standardize Indian uh, English I think that's a, that's a, I like that Russ I think you're right I think the use of the term standard is what's throwing us yeah absolutely Cause, yeah because uh, isn't there I mean maybe I'm wrong but to me there is sort of like without without overtly doing it th- there's a judgment implied there's a judgment implicit in the word right. standard because well, it means it's it's yeah that is the standard yeah, right yeah <laughs> that's not even ex- it's not even implicit it's, it's pretty explicit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in this case we're saying it's a standard yeah it's a standard for a certain form of English yeah and there are many other forms of English and those are standard in their way too that's what we're saying, really. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, maybe we just need another name for that. And 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 again, I I think it goes back, Kathy. I'll, uh, I think it goes back to what you said and to what I noted that you said, which is time. You know, mm-hmm. that may, maybe over time these these things change, and we're just in a particularly interesting time right now with finally recognizing so many more voices it's true i was saying um the other day to ross i I don't know why i'm fascinated with the fact that i keep hearing um young women and like you know in their teens referring to each other as bro and bro has become for them it's (laughs) it's like you know know yeah oh yeah it's fascinating and it's like bro is is ungendered to them bro is just like saying how you doing it's like bro blah 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 (laughs) and it's like a a friend of ours a a friend of ross's and mine teaches what is it what does west teach ross fifth grade uh fifth grade yeah yeah and he was saying that the fifth grade girls are doing it now and he said it just took him aback a little bit to hear them like saying like you know hey yo bro did you get that problem and it's so this to me is just an example of i do think with time i think we're seeing a loosening in english and i think that like things that were like bro is somehow non-gendered to them but we're also seeing the one point i want to make though is this is a key point i think we're saying that you know fletcher said well english is going to basically accommodate everything pull in these things it will but also english because it evolves and because it has separate groupings of people who self-identify as a group, it's also going to always have other dialects, other other forms of English that are spoken. 
that are mm-hmm. not, and that's what we go back to. There's always, there are always going to be subsets, registers of English, for as, I would guess, for as long as history lasts. And I think that's good. We're going to have mm-hmm. diversity and we're going to have small groups of people coining different words, coining different usages. I Some totally agree with you. Are going to like flow into what we call a standard English used in, in, in the States or whatever. Why don't we just say commonly used? I think commonly used sounds better than standard. Right. And I think that's important. We're not going to get into like a bland mush of everything becoming one thing. I think that's beautiful. The beauty of language is the diversity. Is different. I mean, like we just talked about the habitual B. That's interesting. And it's it's vital. And it's a cool, different way uh, and of like basically correcting something or changing something in English. And that's great. And mm-hmm. we're going to always get that sort of uh, linguistic innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to be, like Kathy said, sensitive to it. And also, I think we have to recognize, though, that these are going to always be the case. I have a question for you, though, that just occurred to me. Okay, we're talking about the habitual B, and we're talking about how you, when you came back from the Caribbean, um, well, I was there too, but we're using it. The problem then we start getting into was is the whole notion of loaded language and like when things are... Okay, now, if I start using the habitual B, does it sound like I'm, quote, appropriating, which is a term I really don't care for, but I, whatever. And then does it sound like I'm I'm doing it to be, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I don't know but how that to goes back, And that's, that's a brilliant point, Kathy, because that goes back to our standard. Mm. That goes back to our standard idea. I think to some degree, when I was using it, I was a kid, so I didn't really know any better. But to some degree, to use it before it becomes standard in the in the in the register in your, which, in which, your which register speaking. yeah yeah i don't think it's a particularly good idea and i don't think yeah. that's being and i don't think that's being anti the, the use of it i think it just sounds odd and i think it, it basically isn't particularly appropriate i don't think in a, in a in a racist way i just think it isn't particularly appropriate until it, be, it enters into general usage and i think that's i, I mean i do the same thing i don't go i'm fixing to go when I, when I was in the South, I kept hearing, I'm fixing to go. If I say, hello, I'm fixing to go to your concert tonight, <laughs> I would sound kind of odd. And I, I think that's the same thing. And that's where I think language, that's where I think we do have a basic idea that there is a standard English that we use in our own register. And that's I think that's all we can say. Well, here's mm-hmm. another little nuance. It, Kathy, maybe it would, wouldn't be quite appropriate i guess um for you to go around saying cookie monster be eating cookies but what about those fifth grade girls who are calling each other bro what about the people who are actually the drivers of our linguistic change which as we've noted are that's often, fine often young, tra- women, yeah. young women right yeah but if it becomes but if b becomes standard i mean becomes like a general usage right. or bro I, I just mean right that's now that's fine Ka- kathy i just mean like right now kathy said if she comes back from the caribbean and and is is using the habitual b Maybe that's not quite right. But if she's a fifth grade girl, then, you know, in this same time period right here, right now, using the habitual yeah. B, then maybe that's OK. And fi- yeah. by fifth grade girl, yes, I'm talking about Kathy as a fifth grade girl. So a white girl, uh, particularly. Right. Now. A tanned white girl. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, see, I think that's it. And then we go back to the whole thing of registers and, and, and really to a great degree, it's a quick, and I think eventually then it gets grafted onto adults. I mean, remember Awesome when Awesome first started getting said, or Dude, it was mainly kids who said it. And then slowly you hear soccer moms saying, "Oh my God, that's so awesome!" You know what I mean? I mean, it became everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I mean, wouldn't again we go back to the time issue? So if a fifth graders are doing this now, who's to say in like five years I can start saying I can start calling um, friends of mine who were female bro, right? And it won't sound weird. <laughs> again, we're not talking about laws. We're talking about what is mellifluous and what sounds okay given where we are and to whom we're speaking. And I think that's all we can really say. Well, ultimately, I think that's the way to put it. It's very vague to me. I mean, I think that's my argument with the grammar police is that like immediately pouncing on things is language is vague. Language is very fluid. Language is, is elastic and, and, you can't really, even though there are quote rules, unquote, they, they change, they're amorphous. And, 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 mm-hmm. and yeah, so, yeah. I mean, bro today might be great for me to say tomorrow mm-hmm. or be, you know. <laughs> and on that note, bros, I think the time is up. <laughs> yeah, I think before we totally go, you know, I, th- I think it comes back 
to a lot of what we're always saying here, which is that we need to be able to communicate. And that's really the most important thing is being able to communicate. Words have meaning. You know, pronoun doesn't mean verb. And mm-hmm. uh, so we need to recognize that. And we also need to recognize that definitions of words change. The way we speak changes. And maybe uh, n- things that we think need to be corrected, maybe we need to be the ones taking a little harder look at, at what somebody is actually saying. Do you know what I, I mean? I like that. Yeah. I, th- I like that point. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important, I was just going to say, I think we need to be tolerant and kind and understanding and accepting and all maybe, at the same yeah, time. And maybe a little m- more willing to learn. Yeah, because I mean, we've said it a hundred thousand times. English changes is, is has been changing starting with, from the beginning and it's changing as we're speaking and we have to just accept that and stop being threatened by it. But I think we also need to recognize that English, uh, inc- inc- all registers of English follow certain patterns and follow certain mm-hmm. rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are ways, for example, with the B, habitual B, there are incorrect usages of that B and there are correct usages in that specific, in that specific uh, register or, or, or dialect of English. Right. And I think that we need to be aware that, again, I go back to, I mean, I, I hate to sound like this, but we need to be aware of how grammar works in any register in order to oh, well, get I, our point across. It, we absolutely. can misuse that B and then yeah. we're in trouble there yeah. too. Well, that's a, in, that's in an this, important point. Yeah. yeah. In this particular drawing, uh, Elmo is the one eating cookies right at this moment, but it's not true that Elmo be eating cookies. Mm. No. Cookie, cookie Monster important. be eating cookies. Yeah, it's very important. Right. And and I think that's something that people really, that I think that's something that white people particularly really misunderstand about the use of that verb. I think it's something all we all make that mistake. We presume that other other Englishes don't have rules. All Englishes have rules, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of those. I mean, and they're not necessarily written in stone, but there are usages that we have to be aware of in all different all registers of English. I like that point, Rose. I think that's a really important point because the point is is that that there is oh, there is always a structure. It's not like people are are taking quote standard even though we decided not to use that term yeah. and are breaking the rules. There there are each of these systems, if you will, has their own underpinning, their own skeleton go back to um, Anthony uh-huh. Burgess. Yep. And it's we just have to accept that and understand that. And some of these skeletons are going to get grafted onto one another, and there might be a third leg or a seventeenth head or something. But <laughs> that's exactly the case. Yeah. Okay. I get it, bro. <laughs> but you are, so I can use that. <laughs> that's true. You can't. Now, when Ross starts calling Kathy bro, that's what that's when we'll know things have really changed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. You're Saying It Wrong is a worldwide affair. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Granada, Spain. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario in Canada. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or better yet, a review on your podcast platform of choice. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>